Revelation chapter 1. If you were here last week, then um, you don't need to do this, but if you weren't here last week, you might want to go listen to the podcast. Uh, We are going to be spending the next, or the whole rest of the summer, basically, going through chapter 2 and chapter 3, which are messages to different churches that Jesus sends. Uh, And we're going to be studying those, and so last week was kind of an introductory thing, and then today is going to kind of function the same way. Um, But if you look in in chapter 1, verse 10, so this is John, uh, like John the the Apostle, who uh, he's probably around 80 years old. Um, He has been exiled because of the gospel, and he's on this island. And um, this is what he writes, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying... Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna uh, and to Pergamum and Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. So chapter 2 and chapter 3, these are are the things that, like the the letters or the messages that um, are being sent. Um, Several years ago, before we were a church plant, we were kind of getting into a study of Colossians and I was trying to, to like study it, and, and I just kind of got hung up on this idea that, that one day this, this courier showed up at this little church, uh, this little uh, gathering of people. And so, first of all, when we talk about church, we're not talking about like a building, we're talking about the people. Buildings didn't come along until much, much later. And so this group of people was gathered, and a courier came and said, hey, we have a letter for you from Paul. And Paul was the... The, the one who had probably led most of them to the Lord, had discipled them, had trained up leaders. Like this, was, this was like a father in the faith who had sent them a letter. And so I was just kind of captivated by this. Like, man, what must, must it be like to get a letter uh, filled with encouragement and teaching from someone you admire so much? And so um, I started just kind of playing this scenario out in my mind. And I was like, who, who would I be like, super encouraged to get a letter from? And uh, I went to this, this guy named Louis Giglio, who was like the college ministry guru of the world at this, uh, definitely at that point, and still kind of now. And I was like, man, how crazy would that be to get a letter from him? And then I was like, man, how crazy would it be for the ring to get a letter from him? And, and so I, I took the, the intro to Colossians and kind of like just sketched it out in my own words, like if Louis would encourage us in the same way. I was like, man, that's really cool. And then I was like, what if I read this on a Sunday? just to help everybody get perspective, you know. And so I did it, and I went, like, next level on it a little bit and faked some, like, uh, stationery from Passion with, like, the logo on it and faked his signature. And um, this was back when people actually sent letters, and so I, like, hand-wrote it and came in and acted like I got this letter in the mail. And everybody's like, whoa, and I hadn't told anybody. And so everybody's like, are you kidding me? And as I'm reading it, it's totally backfiring on me because it... It had way more of an impact on the room than I thought it would, you know. Like, I'm pretty sure people were crying. Like, it was like just, it was just one of those things. And as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so bad. When I tell them that none of this actually happened. Um, And so, uh, and there are some of you, I think, who still haven't taken the Lord's Supper because you're still mad at me from that whole, like, thing or whatever. But um, this is, this is, like... Deeper than that, because this isn't a letter from Paul, as great as Paul is. 
not Peter, not John. This is, not, this is from Jesus himself. This is written in red ink in our Bibles. This is Jesus Christ saying, hey, I got a message for your congregation. Like, this is huge. And I'll be honest with you, I've never really studied this before. There's kind of like the two, there's kind of two like famous things as far as like preachers go in these letters that people talk about. The, you know, not being lukewarm is one of them and forsaking your first love. Like those are pretty common preacher things, but there's so much stuff in here. And the more I read it and study it and, and the, the group that's going to be teaching this summer, I, we're just kind of stunned a little bit with what is here. But the idea that Jesus himself send a message to a church like that we should we should let it kind of take us back a little bit and so in these letters there are there are six components that all of these letters have in common and and really letter it's not it's not really a letter in the traditional sense and definitely not even compared to other like biblical letters they're really more messages so you may find all of us using letter and message interchangeably and that's really not not that big a deal but um Within each of these messages, they kind of have six components. And so next week, we're going to start in chapter 2 with Ephesus, and we're just going to go through them. But all of us that are teaching, we're going to, we're going to fall within the same framework of these six components. And so um, right now, I'm going to go through and kind of explain what each of them are, so that next week we can just jump right into them. And kind of knock them out. So if you're a note taker, you're going to love this summer. Because all, all seven weeks are going to be the same. It's going to all, all have six points. And it's going to be great. And you're going to really dig that. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through these six. And I just want to, um, Jesse, if you could throw that slide up there with, the, with what the six are. Um, you can write these down. We're going to go through them kind of slowly. Um, they all talk about, there's a, there's a, it's being addressed. So it's like to this church from Jesus. Uh, then there's an evaluation, an exhortation, a warning, and a promise. All right, so those are, these are six concepts that you're going to hear all throughout the summer from all seven of us that are going to be teaching. Two from, evaluation, exhortation, warning, and promise. Um, so we're going to go through these six, and I'm going to give a, more, a little more explanation to it tonight, and, and even kind of show where some of these things come from. Um, so let's start with the first one. Look in, in chapter 2, look at verse 8. Very simply says this, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, colon, and then he says a bunch of stuff to write. So each letter, it, it's addressed specifically. Now I want to, let me touch on this, because this is really important. Each one of these letters or messages is addressed to the angel of the church at whatever the city is. All right. So I've already talked about how the, it's not the church building you know, it's not First Baptist Smyrna that's going to get this letter. It's, it's the saints that congregate in the city. Um, the, the gospel had spread and, and all that kind of stuff, but the, the Christians gathered in homes. They didn't have cathedrals. They didn't have, you know, red brick buildings with white columns on them and steeples and stuff. They gathered in, people's, in their homes, uh, in small groups and larger groups, wherever they could congregate. Uh, the church back then was not thought of as a, as a building or a structure it was considered the people. So the angel of the, of the people, of the saints in this particular city. And there's some debate about what, what angel means exactly. There's a couple different camps. And there's really, there's two kind of leading, like two are more credible than the rest of them. 
And I, honestly, I don't know which one it is, and so we're just going to kind of make a hybrid understanding of both of them. One is that the angel is, is the, the person who's going to like, read the letter and convey this message to the people, which typically would be the, one of the elders, the pastor of the congregation. And so uh, there are some who, who would, would read this and they would say that Jesus is, is addressing the pastor or elder of the congregation as the one who will then like, relay everything to the church. Um, the other, like the other kind of leading contender is, is thinking that the angel is a personification of the congregation itself. It's kind of like, I'm going to speak to this person, but this person really represents like everyone together. And I think having both of those ideas kind of pressed together makes a little bit of sense because um, the Bible tells us that as pastors, we will stand before the Lord and give an account of this congregation. So in a sense, I will, be, I will have to stand before the Lord at judgment and I will represent us and God will deal with me according to how I was a shepherd to this congregation. Um, so that kind of makes sense for it to be pastoral, but it also makes sense when you're thinking that the church is the people and, uh, and this personification idea. And so, so each of these messages is, is sent to the people. It's not sent to the organization of the church sent to the people. So that's really important for us to, to understand that he's speaking to the, the gathered saints in each of these cities that are there. Um, so that's the, that's the, the first one. Uh, when it says two, that's how each of these is going to have that component. And so it's very important that we understand that he's talking to the people, the saints, the Christians who live in this particular city. Um, the next thing, if you look at that same verse, so to the angel of the church in Smyrna write... The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. All right? this, is, this is where the from would be. This is that second component where it says from. In each letter, Jesus um, references something from chapter 1 in that vision that we kind of walked through last week. So this message is to, to this group of Christians from Jesus. But, but instead of just saying like it's from Jesus... He, he references something from that vision that pertains to the things that they're battling. There's a reason why the church in Smyrna needs to know the, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. We know from verse uh, 18, he says uh, in chapter 1, says, um, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So he's referencing that. But this is pointing to Christ, and there's an aspect of Christ that Smyrna needs. In Ephesus, there's an aspect of Christ that they need. In each of these churches, Jesus is sort of saying, hey, I'm exactly who you need me to be right now. So the first component is to the people, the saints of this city. The second component is going to be um, something about Jesus that they need him to be, coming from chapter 1. The third thing... Look in, again in chapter 2. Um, this is in the, the message through Thyatira. Uh, this is what, what we're going to call an, an evaluation of what's going on. Look at verse 19 in chapter 2. It says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, 
that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. All right? So in those two verses, we see, um, we see the, like kind of two categories within this evaluation. With each church, he comes in and he says, uh, all right, let me tell you the things that I love that are going on in your congregation. And let me tell you the things that I'm not so crazy about. And both, and every time that he is commending them, he says, I know this about you. I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. And then in his rebuke, he says, but I have this against you. And he gets really specific about the things that are going on that he uh, is not on board with. He has this first person knowledge of what's happening in each of these congregations. So, with each message, all seven of them, he has an evaluation. Some churches, he has, uh, he has good things to say and bad things to say, kind of like we just read. There are some congregations where he only has good things. And there are some congregations where he only has bad things. And so they're very specific. These are not just like general blanket things necessarily. He's like, hey, I know what's going on in your congregation. I like these things. I don't like these things. He evaluates them. So that'll be common among all of these letters is the evaluation. The fourth, the fourth thing, uh, exhortation. Look in chapter 2, verse 5. Here's an example of this. It says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. All right? An exhortation is a... Like, it's a, it's a plea, it's a call to action. It's, these are, are, like, steps that he's giving them in order to uh, follow him in obedience and to get back to where they need to be. So when he's commended them, uh, he, he basically tells them, like, you keep doing that. But in his rebukes, in the evaluation section of each message, in the rebuke, he doesn't just come out there and say, like, hey, you're, doing, you're terrible at all these things, get better at it, see you later. He offers them a solution. He helps them know what are some steps we can take to get back on course. That's what an exhortation is. It's a, it's a plea. It's a call to action. And so he tells them in Ephesus, Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. He's like, you want to you wanna get back on track? These are the things you need to do. And he implores them to do this. And so each letter has this exhortation uh, where he gives them next steps of obedience. But then you see in verse 5, we, you see the fifth component in that same verse. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. All right? Within, within each, each message, he gives them a warning. So he's just given them this, this exhortation and said, Here, here's what you need to do to right this situation. And then he comes in with a warning. He's like, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. He's not mean. He's not angry. He's just very serious about it. And he gives them a warning. It's, it, it seems very parental to me, you know. It's like, I'm just telling you, if these things continue on, this is going to be the, these are the consequences of what's going to happen. So for them in Ephesus, he says, uh, I will uh, come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. 
We know from last week that the lampstand is the is like the lampstands represent the church. So he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. You're going to cease to be a church. So that's a warning. That's his warning. And so within each of these messages, he offers them fair warning as to what happens if they are disobedient. Then the sixth thing is a promise. Look at verse 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 21. That's what he says to Laodicea. The one who conquers, they all, they all start with that. They all have this, this overcoming idea to them. To the ones who are faithful and endure to the end, to them, he says, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He, he goes from an evaluation, a first, from firsthand knowledge, into an exhortation, like a call to action, and then he warns them, if, if you're disobedient, this is what's going to happen, but if you're obedient, I promise you, this is the outcome. This is what your future looks like. To those who overcome, to those who conquer, to those who are faithful to the end, I promise you, this is what your future looks like. So each of these letters, addressed to the, the saints in that particular city, from Jesus, he evaluates what's going on. He gives an exhortation and a call to action. He gives them a warning if they're disobedient and a promise when they are obedient. So for the next seven Sundays, we're going to go through these different messages and kind of just sink into those components. So what does this, what does it, what does it mean to us? The fact that these are common threads among all these churches in, the, in this region. I think there are four things that we can draw from this at the front end of this study. Uh, just four very simple points that you can write down. Here's the first one. That Jesus knows his bride. You know, the, the church is called the bride of Christ. He loves us like a husband. That even marriage on earth, marriage between a man and a woman, points to this heavenly marriage between Jesus and us. One of faithfulness and love and strength and courage and uh, a commitment that is not conditional. See, Jesus knows his bride. In all seven of these churches, he's like, I know this, I know this, I know this. I have this against you, this against you, this against you. He's specific. There are times in Paul's letters where, where he, he's saying, ever since I heard about this, I've, I've been grateful, I've been praying for you. He's, he's heard things through the grapevine. But Jesus says, I know this. I know this firsthand. That he knows his bride. He doesn't, he's not involved with the church like, pulling his chair up to the edge of heaven and looking down. He walks among the lampstands. He exists among us. And it's not just for these churches. These are open-ended messages. It applies to us as well. That we as a congregation, that we're known. 
Jesus knows what's going on in our community groups. He knows what's going on in here on Sunday nights. He knows what's going on in our homes and our workplaces and uh, in the car when we're driving. Like he, know, he knows what's going on. And not just external observations. He knows the inside. He knows the heart. He knows the mind. And he's not running away screaming, you know. He's not terrified of the real us. And he knows us. And we can grab onto this. It's not a, a stretch to apply these things to the modern day church. It's actually why, part of why it's here. So Jesus knows us at the ring. And he gets it. Because he's here in fullness all the time. He doesn't miss a Sunday. He doesn't miss a group. He doesn't miss any moment of any day ever. He knows you. He knows us. And he's intricately involved in the details of life. You're going to see when we get into some of these letters, like he's incredibly specific. He's a detailed God. He doesn't... He functions in generalities. Yeah, he, he can do that. But he also gets right down into the minutia of what's going on, every little small detail. And he absolutely cares. He absolutely cares. And that's the second thing. First thing, Jesus knows his bride. The second thing, Jesus definitely has an opinion. He's definitely an opinionated husband. He goes through and he's like, hey, I really like these things. And these things, I hate them. He uses the word hate sometimes. It's like, I hate this so much. He has likes and dislikes based on this firsthand involvement. We're going to learn so much about him through this uh, as a congregation. I, I think that, that you know, we've, if you've been around church for a while, and I know not everyone has, but if you've grown up in church, you've, there's probably, you probably heard a lot of sermons about Jesus, and you go to the four Gospels, and there are a lot of things that we've learned about him, and, and it's easy for us to kind of think we know everything there is to know about Christ. Um, but here, we're getting into some uh, uncharted waters a little bit. We're going to get into some things that maybe, maybe you hadn't thought about before. We're going to do some things that, um, we're going to talk about some things that maybe have never really dawned on you. And I can tell you this, you're going to learn things about Jesus. You're going to learn things about humanity. You're going to learn, learn things about the church. Um, you're going to th- learn things about yourself. Um, Jesus knows us, and he has an opinion. And I, I don't know what, uh, I don't want you to anticipate on the back end of this series, there being, like, me getting up here and saying, you know, Jesus has written us a letter. And here's what it says, you know. No, that's, that's not how this works. But it's a natural part of conversation. You know, we're, we're doing this teaching series in a kind of a collaborative way. So you have the five elders and our two interns, and we've, we've, met, uh, we've met once. We'll meet again in two weeks to kind of go over each of the letters and kind of help give shape to different things. And it comes up in conversation as I talk with, with people about what we're preaching on. They're like, man, what... What do you think Jesus would say to, to the ring? You know? If he were to send a message, what do you think he would say? Do you think there's a chance? Like, could our lampstand be removed? You know, is that still a possibility? And there's all these things that are going on. It's supposed to stir that kind of stuff in us. 
We're supposed to know that he walks among us and know that he has an opinion. And I think it's supposed to drive us to ask him to weigh in on things. Corporately and personally. If Jesus walks among us and has an opinion, we should be asking him often. And I believe that we do that. I know that, our, that we do that as elders and as staff. That our, whatever programming or whatever you want to call it, our community groups and the content of things and how we approach stuff and how we handle situations, Jesus has an opinion about it. You know? That when we're faced with something we aren't sure what to do, Jesus has an opinion. And so we need to ask him, because the third point is that Jesus leads his bride perfectly. He gives perfect leadership to us. For him to come in and send a message to these churches and give an honest, first-person, 100% holy evaluation, and then to provide them with the kind of exhortations and next steps and solutions. That's beautiful leadership. I've been on the receiving end of a lot of uh, opinions over the years in ministry, and people will come in and they'll say, let me tell you what's wrong with the ring. This and this and this and this. And I'll say, oh, okay, what, what do you think we should do? Well, I don't know, but you need to fix it. That's why you're here. Yeah. All right. That's not good leadership. Good leadership doesn't come in and just criticize everything and then walk away. Good leadership comes in and says, hey, here here are the problems, and let's explore some of these solutions. Let's figure that out. Jesus leads his bride perfectly. So husbands, as you're trying to lead your spouse and lead your homes, you don't just throw your hands up because you're frustrated with things. Good leadership works towards solutions and obedience and what we're going to see here is good leadership asks Jesus what his opinion is and ask what the next steps are going to be. And so, you know, we're doing this summer community group thing, right? And it doesn't start this, this week, it starts the next week. And so we're, we've been talking about this and praying about this and, and seeking Jesus' opinion about it for a while and asking him to weigh in and asking him to give shape to it. To lead us to the right format, to lead us to the right topics and the right passages and the right structure and the right solutions for childcare and the, and the right uh, locations and times. And uh, we've, we ask him all these things. Last August, we came before you and said, hey, we have some changes in what our community group time is going to look like and the role that the staff is going to play as opposed to the elders and all these kind of things. And that wasn't reactive. That wasn't, you know, oh man, you know, like it wasn't just this immediate thing. This is months and months and months. And really, I would say years of asking Jesus, what do we do? What do, you, what do you want next? What do you want from us? What do you want from us? Because he has an opinion, because he knows us and walks among us. And so we're trying to be good leaders and let the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the head of the body, let him be the one to lead us and guide us forward. And that's the case when we have difficult situations to face. We are sure what to do. 
We go to the one who does know. As far as the future of our congregation and where we're going to meet and what that's going to look like and all that kind of stuff, we're looking to, the, to him. He has an opinion. He has, he has a vision for things. He's the one that's in charge of all this. So he knows the ring. He has an evaluation and some solutions and some next steps and probably some warnings and a whole heap of promises. All these things connect to us as well because he knows us and leads us perfectly. And he is exactly who we need him to be. Whatever we need Jesus to be today in this moment as a congregation, he is that. Without hesitation and with, with complete perfection, he is who we need him to be. And the same is for, goes for you. Whatever you need him to be, that's who he is. The fourth, the fourth thing. You can come in. So Jesus knows his bride. Jesus has an opinion. Jesus leads his bride perfectly. The fourth one. Jesus is serious. He's serious about the church. He's serious about the gospel. For him to go to the church in Ephesus and say, um, this is what's wrong, and these are the steps that you need to take to fix it, and if you don't, I'm going to remove you as a church. You're going to cease to be a church in a city filled with people who don't know him. Jesus takes this very, very seriously. He takes the gathering of the saints, the making of disciples, the exaltation and worship of him in all things, the kingdom coming near, abundant life. He takes all these things so, so, so seriously. And I would say he takes it way more seriously than we do. And that's, a, that's an inclusive statement. I'm not saying y'all. He's more serious than y'all do. No, we. Like I'm, I'm a part of it. He's serious about the gospel. He's serious about the church. And I wholeheartedly believe that after studying through this and hearing this taught and looking at these components and seeing all these things about him and, and the church and his heart and the fact that he doesn't joke around about personal holiness and all these kinds of things, I think that we will emerge on the other side with a deeper love for what he's doing here among us. I believe that that is possible for us. I think that that's one of the reasons why he has us going through this over the summer. I think it's part of why this is being taught by people other than me. I'll do the first week, but I think that there's some things that will be said that are difficult for me to be the one to say it. I think that there are things that I need to sit out there and hear. I think that we are going to go deeper together as a family by going through this. And like he says in each letter, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Well, we need to do that. We need to be attentive and be perfectly honest with you, we need to be here, you know. 
I know it's summertime. I know it's. I know there's vacations and there's all these kind of things. I'm not saying like uh, we're going to shame you if you miss a Sunday. I'm just saying like I think this should be a priority for us that the gathering of the saints should be important. And so I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what happens in this room on Sunday nights. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when people who can't be here on a Sunday listen to the podcast and how. Because, you know, a podcast experience is very different than being here, but they're, they're both filled with truth and goodness. Um, so I would say if you miss a Sunday, get the podcast. If you don't know how to podcast, I understand. Uh, I don't think I know how to do it either most of the time. It takes me a while. But we'll figure it out together. It'll be great. But I think being really serious and, like, really wanting to soak up all that God has for us in the first three chapters of Revelation, I, th- I think it's going to be pivotal for us. And so I, th- I think to see how seriously Jesus takes the church. And I think he's wanting to get us on board. He's dealing with these seven churches that have these strengths and weaknesses. And there are a couple of them that have, they've just strayed. They've just, they've, they've veered off center, you know. And he's helping them re, like get realigned with the spirit and with each other. That's our desire. And so I'm excited to see how the summer community groups and this series work those things together. I would love to be able to come out of this each week and also the whole course of the summer with a deeper love for you. Um, and a, and a, a deeper commitment to what God is doing here. Because we, we're, we're a very strange congregation. Uh, and I mean that in the best way possible. There are just there are things that we are facing that that are just unique. Maybe I should say that we're a unique congregation. Some unique things we live all over all over the like multiple parishes. You know, we can't all ride our bikes to church. You know, there are people you only see in this room. Our our small groups are like getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And sometimes I honestly have no I don't know what to do with that, you know, as a pastor. I'm like, man, this is so awesome. These groups are taking care of each other. And I'm like, what about me? What am I supposed to do? You know? That's unique. I don't have friends in ministry who who have these these kinds of, of things. We're super loaded in this in this demographic. Uh, like our nursery. If everybody shows up one night in the nursery, we just need to switch places basically and just all it's all go in there because they just take over. Like, no church, they don't deal with that kind of stuff unless they have like 2,000 members and they have all these resources and stuff. So we're, we're up against some things that are just unique. But Jesus walks among us. He knows. He has an opinion. He's leading us perfectly. He's everything that we need him to be. And he is serious about the ring. And I think he's got some great stuff for us. He's very faithful to his bride, and we will see that in these letters. That he loves his, his bride enough to tell, her, to tell her when she's being a brat, and to affirm her when she's being beautiful, and to lead her, and to guide her, and to strengthen her, and to make promises to her that he's the only one that can fulfill them. And so this summer is going to be awesome. So I hope that you're excited. I'm excited I'm jealous that the other guys get to preach some of these, and I'm kind of relieved at some of them, because some of them are crazy. Uh, it's going to be good. So, uh, I just want to pray for us, and I want us just to respond a little bit with some of these things in mind.
Because uh, Jesus, he's just incredible. Let's, let's stand together as the band comes back up. And take just a second and think about, think about the significance of the fact that Jesus, uh, that he walks among us. That he is present at all times. That, the, that there isn't a, a moment where he's checked out or whatever. And just think about that in your own life, but also in our, our congregational life. Just let that be kind of stunning just for a second. Jesus, it's so humbling to think in those terms. It's amazing to think that you... You walk among us and are involved in the details of both both our lives, our lives as individuals and our lives corporately. To think that you have that kind of knowledge and and you still love us and want to be involved, when we probably give you plenty of reasons to just wash your hands of us and walk away. And I'm grateful that your commitment to us as your bride. It's not contingent on our behavior. It's not dependent on our attitude about things or whatever. That you are faithful to us regardless of how faithful we are in return. And I'm grateful that in those times when we are rebellious that you love us enough to sit us down and look us in the eye and tell us what's up. To tell us the truth, to correct and even to rebuke. But you do so with, not only with love and grace, but with a call to action, with a solution, with steps out of that. I'm grateful that all those steps require a dependence upon you. We thank you for those warnings and those times of difficulty, but I'm so grateful for just that heap of promises that you make us in, the, in your word things that we can grab onto and know that that you are worth it. That you don't use the word overcomer or conqueror lightly. That you encourage us to hang in there and persevere and push through because you have sealed our futures. And so whatever garbage is in life right now, there's a, there's a greater reality that your kingdom is real and here and now and that all these things point to you and your goodness. So we thank you for your perfect leadership. And just ask for your help and just resting in that and relaxing into who you are to us.